of the great mysteries of the Christian life is how can two people sit next to one another in Lord's Day worship week after work, week after week under solid biblical preaching? Perhaps it's a husband and a wife, or two siblings, or a couple of friends. And these two, who hear the exact same thing, have radically different responses, even different destinies, all because of this. How they hear. One prepares and receives and grows. The other is distracted, bored, walks away empty, like an empty vessel week after week. Today we're beginning a series, a lengthy series, on the parables of Jesus. On 40 occasions recorded in the Synoptic Gospels, Jesus told a parable. But this one is special. Jesus, as we will see in just a moment, says that you cannot understand any other parable unless you understand this parable. In fact, you can't, Jesus will say, you can't understand any portion of Scripture if you don't understand this simple parable. Now, I'm going to give you an assignment. I realize this is a lot of work early in the morning. I hope you had a cup of coffee this morning. Not only would I ask you to turn to Matthew 13, because you'll certainly need to be deep into the text, but this same parable is recorded in Mark's gospel in Mark 4. So I realize this is going to take quite a bit of juggling on your hands. Mark 4 and Luke chapter 8. It's the same parable. It's the parable of the sower. But each account, Matthew 13, Mark 4, Luke 8, each account adds more detail and more clarification. They're not contradictory, but complementary. The reason why Jesus used parables so frequently is we're going to hear him say that parables have the unique God-given ability to conceal truth to some and reveal truth to others. Notice in our text in Matthew 13, beginning in verse 11, Jesus gives a profound statement of sovereignty. And he says to some, and this will happen today, it will happen right here in this room, he says to some it has been given. In other words, a free act of sovereign grace. Look what Jesus says. To his disciples, he says in verse 11, because it has been given, that means a gift of grace, to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them, meaning the other people in the crowd who heard, it has not been given. They'll never hear it. They'll never get it. They're in the process of being hardened, and that's the Lord's sovereign intention. Now, let me tell you right up front, I want to sort of tip my hand before we even get on the road with this text. That the theme of this is how you hear the word. Keep one finger here and look at Mark chapter 4. That's one of those other texts that you have marked in Mark 4. And I want you to notice how we know this is the emphasis of the whole parable. It's on hearing and how you hear. In Mark chapter 4, Mark's account of the parable of the sower. And he records that Jesus uses the word as he began in Mark chapter 4, verse 3, listen. And then again in verse 9 of Mark chapter 4, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And then let your eyes scroll down in Mark's gospel chapter 4 to verse 15, where Jesus begins to describe the four types of hearers. And in this room this morning, 
All four of these types of hearers are right here, right now. They always are. These are the four responses Jesus says that people make to the word, the types of hearers. But notice what Jesus ties them together with. Look at Mark 4.15. He says, these are the ones by the wayside where the word is sown. When they hear, so the first type of people described are hearers. Then look at verse 16. Then likewise, they're the ones sown on stony ground who, when they hear the word, oh, they too are hearers. Then look at verse 18. Now these are the ones sown among thorns. They are ones who hear the word. And then finally, in verse 20, but these are the ones sown on good ground. Those who hear the word. As Jesus describes the four types of persons in the room this morning, indeed, every time the visible church is gathered for the ministry of the word, notice what he does. He doesn't describe them by age or apparel or ethnicity or educational attainment, but by this. When they hear, he distinguishes between individuals on how they hear the word. The next several minutes are the most important moment of your week. Because everything in the Christian life, whether you're converted or not, whether you grow or not, is all determined by this one factor. How you hear the word. Let's pray and ask for the help of the Spirit now. O blessed Lord, who has caused all of Holy Scripture to be written for our learning, grant that we may hear that we may learn and inwardly digest your word, so that by your grace we may embrace and hold fast the blessed hope of eternal life which you have given us through Christ. Lord, we pray for the work of the evil one to be thwarted, that all the distractions that he would raise in this moment would be thwarted, and that we would be enabled to concentrate, to hear you speak, and to take this word to heart. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Look back to our principal text in Matthew 13. You'll notice over the next few weeks, this will be what you'll hear me say over and over and over again. So you might as well just put a tab in Mark chapter 4 and Luke 8. But the principal text today is Matthew 13. And I want to convince you that, first of all, this parable is about the kingdom. Look how Jesus speaks. In Matthew 13, verse 11, he's talking to his disciples. He says, because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. And then again in verse 19, Jesus, when he explains the parable of the sower, says, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom, in fact, this chapter is profoundly memorable because this chapter, all seven of the parables given in Matthew 13 have their focus, the kingdom of heaven. So just Scroll down with me, Matthew 13, verse 24, Jesus begins another parable. Another parable he put forth to them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like. For those of you who weren't awake in seventh grade English class, this is a simile. And then in verse 31, another parable he put forth to them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like. And then look at verse 33, another parable he spoke to them, the kingdom of heaven is like leaven 
Verse 44, again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. Verse 45, another one, a sixth one in this chapter. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant. And then in verse 47, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet. All seven of these are similes. And you know that because Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like or as. Now let me remind you, the Lord Jesus was a preacher, a consummate communicator. You'll remember his words in Luke chapter 4 where Jesus talks about what his topics are going to be. Jesus said in Luke 4, I must preach the kingdom of God because for this purpose I've been sent. We are told in Luke chapter 8 that Jesus repeatedly, village by village, everywhere he went, we are told he preached the glad tidings of the kingdom. Now, the gospel of the kingdom isn't just what Jesus preached, but it's what he told his disciples to preach. As soon as he called the twelve in Matthew chapter 10, we're told that Jesus told them, Do not go into the way of the Gentiles, don't enter a city of the Samaritans, but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And in fact, not only did Jesus preach the kingdom and the disciples sent out to preach the kingdom, this is what the Apostle Paul preached. We are told that even when he was under house arrest at the end of the book of Acts in Acts 28, here's what we are told Paul preached. That Paul was preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence. And so we need to stop if we're going to understand this parable, in fact several of the parables, what is this gospel of the kingdom? And that's something that's going to be vital. You won't understand these parables unless you get this. The gospel of the kingdom is the good news that Jesus is redeeming a people from every nation, tribe, and tongue, and that he's extending and spreading his rule and dominion until the day dawns when every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess him as Lord. Let me say that again because that, that not only should be delightful to you, but this is the nub of what the kingdom is all about. The kingdom is, the gospel of the kingdom is the good news that Christ is redeeming a people from every nation, tribe, and tongue, and that he's extending, spreading his rule and dominion until the day dawns when Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess him as Lord. The kingdom of God is the manifestation of the sovereign rule of God in power and grace, which established a new order of righteousness and blessedness in history through Jesus Christ in fulfillment of God's covenant promises. This will progressively triumph, we are told by Jesus in Matthew 16, progressively triumph over all opposition in history and which will be consummated at the end of history in the second coming of Christ. Another thing to know about this kingdom, the kingdom of God comes, came in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Jesus said so in Mark 1.15. The first words that Mark records of Jesus in Mark 1 are when Jesus stood up and said, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. The kingdom of God comes demanding absolute righteousness of its subjects. Now, I want to introduce the parable to you. Look at Matthew 13. <coughs> Parabolic teaching was not something new to Jesus. It was a classic rabbinical Hebrew style of teaching. They were schooled in it in their seminaries. But none of them ever taught like Jesus. 
We're told that repeatedly in the Gospels. We're told in Luke 4, they were astonished at his teaching, for his word was with authority. About a third of Jesus' recorded words are delivered in a parabolic style. What's a parable? I'll begin with a really, really simple definition. I'll add other definitions later as we move on. Here's the simple definition. This is sort of the children's definition. It's an earthly phenomenon designed to teach a spiritual truth. That's what a parable is. Jesus takes something everyone in his listening audience had seen a hundred times. Perhaps they had done it a hundred times. From where Jesus was teaching outdoors, he probably just pointed up to one of the hills in Capernaum, and there was a man working in a nearby field. In fact, in Mark's account, in Mark chapter 4, Jesus begins his parable of the sower by Mark, in Mark 4 verse 3, by saying, Behold. In other words, look. And so no doubt Jesus, as he was teaching the thousands by the seashore, pointed. And there was a man casting out seed in his field. And so Jesus says, look, behold, a man went out to sow. And Jesus then attaches an incredibly profound meaning to this, so that from that moment on, whenever these hearers saw a man tossing seed into a field, it would bring to mind powerful spiritual truths. In other parables, Jesus speaks of everyday occurrences, wheat and tares, mustard seeds, common things. But what we'll soon see is parables either heighten or deaden spiritual interest. For some of you, as you sit under this word, you hunger for spiritual food. You have deepened interest in the things of God if you're alive and spiritually discerning. But from others, as you hear this word, there will be a recoiling, a hardening, even boredom on the part of those who cannot see beyond the natural. It will happen. It happens every time the word is preached. In this particular parable, Jesus is going to teach us a central truth about the kingdom of heaven. This is the text, by the way. It's the, the, the Latin term. I always try to impress you. It hardly ever works. But this is called the locus classicus. If you want to understand the kingdom, Matthew 13 is the text. And you know how this works. If you want to understand the sovereignty of God and salvation in the Bible, just go to Romans 9. Read it from top to bottom, and you will have a, a good grasp. If you want to understand the resurrection of Jesus, go to 1 Corinthians 15. It's the locus classicus. But if you want to understand the kingdom of God in its present form, as the king has left it and how it will develop until he returns, Matthew 13 is the principal text, and it's all in parables. So if you can't understand parables, you can't understand the kingdom of God. After speaking the parable, look what Jesus tells the disciples in verse 11. He tells them, it has been granted to them, and look at the cognitive word, to know. And the Greek word here means to hear with understanding, to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. And what this parable has to do with is spiritual experience, the varied responses to the preaching and message of the kingdom of God. In other words, this parable is about you. There are only four responses to the message every time it's preached, and you are one of them. Your name's right here in this parable. You are one of those four types of people every time you hear. 
And Jesus tells them this parable to explain why and how people have been responding as he's been going about preaching the kingdom of God. Now, we'll think about the importance of this parable for just a moment. We're going to spend several weeks on this parable and then launch into several more. But why are these 25 verses that we just read in Matthew 13 worth consideration? Let me give you some reasons, as if I need to convince you that the Word of God is important. But let me give you reasons why we want to dig in deep on this first parable. The first is, (coughs) this parable heightens and reveals the spiritual condition of every hearer. Look at what Jesus communicates in verses 10 through 16 when he gives an explanation to his disciples when they ask the why question. Why do you speak to them in parables? And then Jesus says, his his punchline, as you'll notice in your text, it's probably printed in italics. Jesus says the parables, every time he tells one, do what was prophesied way back in Isaiah chapter 6. He says in verse 14, In them the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, Hearing you'll hear and not understand, seeing you'll see and not perceive. The hearts of this people have grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing and their eyes they've closed. Lest they should see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts in turn, so that I should heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. What Jesus is saying is what we've already mentioned. Parables reveal truth to some and they hide truth from others. Jesus is saying that the parables are divisive. They're binary. They're antithetical. They always divide men into two camps. Those who hear and understand and those who are dull. It always fascinates me how the same word, the same sermon, can have such diametrically opposed effects on hearers. It's a two-edged sword that cuts both ways. Whenever God's word is taught, the spiritual anticipate and they learn, and the carnal don't anticipate and they don't receive anything. It's like the sun. The same sun that melts ice hardens clay. That's the way it is with the preaching of the word of God. We're fond of quoting Isaiah and saying, God's word will not return to him void, and that's true. God's word will, just as he planned, soften some and harden others. Right now, there is in some of you a growing sensitivity to the word. And in others, there's a deepening rejection of the word. In your case, today, another callous is being formed on your heart. This parable is going to, it's it's important because it's going to reveal the spiritual condition of your heart. The second reason why we're going to give so much consideration to this first parable is it's the only parable that's repeated in all three synoptic gospels. That's why I ask you to have your Bible at the ready for Matthew 13 and Mark 4 and Luke 8. It's the only one that repeats all three, uh, all of the parable of the sower in detail. And why I say this is if the Holy Spirit has strategically placed a text in three different places, we'd better listen. Another reason why we're going to give so much consideration to this parable is this parable. You right now, as you're looking at Matthew chapter 4, you're holding in your hand the key. It's the key to all the other parables. If you don't get this one, you will not comprehend the others. Carlo, are you sure about that? That's big talk. Well, look at Mark chapter 4 and look what Jesus says. In the Mark chapter 4 account, (laughs) 
when Jesus has just quoted Isaiah chapter 6 and the prophecy of the utility of this parable, Jesus says in Mark 4.13, his account, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? And the point that Jesus is making is this text is the key into the door. This text, Jesus is going to teach us, and by the way, this is astounding, and this really is sort of our, our next point, is this, this is the only parable of the 40 recorded in the Gospels that Jesus interprets in detail. In 85% of the parables Jesus gives, he doesn't give a word of interpretation. Not so here. In fact, if you look back at our Matthew account in Matthew 13, Jesus explains it exactly in verses 18 through 23. So he gives you the parable. He gives you the, the symbol, the, the earthly picture, and then he explains it step by step. So not only is the parable included in all three of the synoptic gospels, but so is the interpretation. And so what we don't have to do, this is actually the easiest of the parables, and that's why we'll go in such depth. We don't have to wonder or guess what to do with this parable. So look carefully at the basic contents of the parable with me. Jesus tells us what each of the elements mean, and you know my struggle as a preacher. I have many of them, and I try to sit at the feet of Pastor Dodd's and learn from him. And you know that he's the master of alliteration. Sometimes Pastor Anderson and I will walk by his door and we'll hear him chanting in his office, trying to come up with, with good words that begin with Q, so he can have all seven of his points. But in this, you, you know that I'm an utter failure at this, but in this, you don't even have to work. They're given to us by Jesus. Look at the four elements in the parable, and they're alliterated. And so there's no reason to even forget them. The first element is seed. Seed in this parable is the word of God. How do we know that? Look at your Luke account, and I'm going to ask you to turn back and forth, back and forth. In Luke chapter 8, in Luke 8, <coughs> when Jesus is explaining the parable, and what each element means. He just tells the disciples in Luke 8, verse 11. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. How many times have you said something like this? You're discussing a relationship that perhaps you'd like to be an evangelistic relationship, and you'd like to share the gospel with these people. And as you relate the saga around the dinner table, you'll say, well, I planted the seed. No, you haven't. You've not planted a seed unless you've given your hearer the word of God. If you've been kind to them, if you've shown mercy to them, if you've, if you've talked about subjects that are of great matter, you still have not planted the first seed unless you give them the word of God. Look at what Jesus says in Luke 8, verse 11. What he's talking about, the seed that he's talking about, is the word of God and nothing else. You may have engaged in pre-evangelism, but by Jesus' own definition, you've not planted a seed until you've done this, until you've delivered the word. Second element of the parable, also with an S, it's sowing. Sowing is described as doing something with the word, with the effect that people have heard the word. In other words, sowing is preaching, teaching. 
It's the proclamation of the word. So stay with me on our S's here. By the way, don't expect me to ever alliterate anything again because this is about all I've got. But and the first S is seed. That's the word. Second is sowing. That's doing something with the word, with the effect that people have heard it. That's preaching. Third is the sower, is the preacher. And I would argue, I'm not going to take the time now, that when you see in the parables, it's always with the definite article. Behold, the sower went out to sow in the Greek text. And I would say each time somebody preaches, it's Christ preaching through a man. And then the fourth S, and this is where we will spend the bulk of our time because you will notice those first three things don't change. But the one thing that changes in the parable are the soils, the hearts of men. Verse 19 in our text plainly tells us that the soil is a picture of men's hearts. Your heart is in this parable. We're told in verse 19, the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. The appointed receptacle for the word, listen to me carefully, is not just the mind, it's not just the will, it's not just the emotions, it's the heart. Heart, as Jesus uses it, is the complex of all three, the mind, will, and emotions. Biblical preaching is aimed at the whole man, mind, will, and emotions. That's the soil. Now, there are lessons to this parable that we need to learn. And let me begin by just stating a few of them this morning. We'll add on lessons each week as we dig in to this parable. The first lesson is, whenever sowing takes place... It must be the word of God being declared. Look at Mark 4. We, aren't we told there, the sower sows the word. Years ago, Sandy and I and our kids were on vacation. The church we were attending was packed. Great liturgy, great songs. And I was just going like this. I thought, man, this is going to be good and rich. And then the minister stood up and for 17 minutes told stories about his children and his golf game and then sat down. I was furious. I was incredulous. I thought, here's a whole field ready for the seed. So, the word was never sown. In fact, the minister's Bible was never opened or referred to. Whenever sowing takes place, it must be the word, the scriptures being declared. The seed, the pure seed, the good news must be what is sown. And speaking very specifically... Sowing hasn't taken place unless the sower asserts that Jesus has paid for sinners by his life and death and resurrection. And if we come to him in faith and repentance, we'll be saved eternally. Sowing doesn't occur when somebody preaches their political opinions or the philosophies of the age. Sowing must be the word of God. Another lesson this parable teaches us. This parable tells us that we are to give a free offer of the gospel. God has not called you to be a soil inspector, but an indiscriminate sower. During the next few weeks, we're going to examine all four types of soil. They're here, right here in this room. Hard, rocky, thorny, and good ground. And your temptation is going to be to say, Okay, Carl, while you're doing this, I'm making a chart, a graph. It's an Excel spreadsheet on my notes here. 
And I have put everybody in my life, my co-workers, my family, I've, I've put them all in the spreadsheet. And look, Carl, it's very neat. And, and I, have the, I have the hard ground hearers. I'm not going to bother with them. Rocky and thorny ground, sometimes I get them confused, but I've got a category for them. I'm not going to waste my time on them. And then I have the good ground hearers over here. I'm going to spend all my time sowing the word in their midst. Your temptation is going to be to say, that guy's just a hard ground hearer anyway, not going to give him the time of day. No. I'm going to have us go into great depth and notice what the sower does. He throws seed on all the ground. I can't tell you how many times I've given the gospel to someone who is closer to the kingdom than Nicodemus in John 3. I just knew they'd be saved. But they never turned to Christ. Conversely, I've shared the gospel kind of reluctantly with some who I thought, this is a waste of time, and they received it. And what Christ is telling his disciples is, you put the seed everywhere. So indiscriminately. Make the free offer of the gospel and let me draw men and change hearts. The important thing I want you to see from this parable is, the only thing that ever changes in this parable is the soil. Look carefully at our text in Matthew 13. Seed is unchangeable. It's always the word. So is sowing. That's the proclamation. And so is the sower. It's Christ preaching through men. The only variable in this parable is the soil. Four possible types of soil or four types of heart responses. Hard ground. Rocky soil, thorny ground, good ground. Only one of these hearers, and this is going to be the point that I want you to take away from here. Only one of these hearers has eternal life. Only one is the genuine article. The one who bears fruit. Do you remember what Jesus said in John 15, the night before he went to the cross? I have chosen you, you did not choose me, and I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and your fruit should remain. The good heart, the good listener, the fertile soil always shows itself by fruit bearing. And so as we look at these four types of hearers, there's only one that's converted. It's the one who bears fruit. But the unbelieving heart is what's so complex, the first three. Sometimes... The unbeliever's heart's just hard. And these are pretty evident. This is the first type of soil Jesus talks about. This is the person who grumbles over the length of sermons. They won't respond to any ministry of the word. Often they're actually asleep while the word is being preached within 30 feet of them. I remember a man who I had in a congregation far, far away from here. And this man would dress to a T every Sunday. I mean, he was... Mr. Brooks Brothers. And he would come in and he would even ask me, say, Carl, do you like my tie? And I always wanted to say, I would like it if you'd just stay awake. But he, he, was, he was a fashion plate. And he would sit in his pew. And the first signal that he had no intention of being impacted by the word was this. I never saw him with a Bible. Big red flag. But then the real time when you realized that he was a hard ground here, it's hard to be a Berean, by the way, if you don't have a Bible. But when I would stand up to preach, the real evidence came out. He looked like a turtle in a shell. 
Because when I would stand up to preach and read the text, his sport coat would go up and his head would go down like this. And he was masterful. He could fall asleep in 20 seconds. And at first I thought, it's just me. I didn't realize that's soporific. So I was very thankful when we had Dr. Ed Clowney. Many of you have some of his books. Dr. Clowney came over from Westminster and, and spelled me and Dr. Clowney preached. And so I was watching this fellow out of the corner of my eye. I thought, he'll probably stay awake for Dr. Clowney. <laughs> Fast asleep within 30 seconds until I finished my sermon. So you have those, the hard ground hearers. Jesus describes them as the one who Satan takes away the seed of the word. And then the second type of lost here is it's the rocky ground here. This is the person who loves to hear the word at first until the demands of the Christian life outweigh the blessings. And then third, there's the thorny ground here. This is the person who loves to hear the word, but very soon he just can't seem to find any time or place for the word. He has a crowded heart. Over 35 years of pastoral ministry, I've seen scores of examples of each kind of hearers, even here. Over the next few weeks, we will, as we dig in deep to the parable of the sower, as our first of the parables, we're going to examine each soil. This parable is meant to be like a mirror. And that's what I'm going to do is hold this mirror up to you each week. And somewhere you'll see yourself clearly. This parable is like algebra. It builds on the last lesson. So let me plead with you not to miss a week. Let me instruct you on what you should do as you hear. Because that's really what Jesus is emphasizing here. This parable is about how men hear. What should you do as you hear? Ask the Lord to give you honesty and not self-deception. So you may examine your heart and not deal treacherously with yourself. If you already recognize that your heart is not good soil and there is no fruit, plead with Christ to change your heart from hard ground, rocky ground, thorny ground to fertile soil. Let's pray together. Lord, you know our hearts and intentions and motives and passions. And by your Holy Spirit, over the next several weeks, bring that to light so that we may deal honestly with you. Give us grace so we may see any hardness or deadness. We recognize today that if we have eternal life and are producing spiritual fruit, it's only because you've sought us out and changed our hearts. So in weeks to come, help us to carefully hear for the good of our souls. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.